Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we're joined by a guest. Uh, Everyone, welcome to the show, Liam Johnston. Welcome, Liam. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, So, Liam, we were talking a little bit off mic about uh, Jaws, obviously. Surprise. And um, you mentioned that this was the first scene that you had seen as a child. So is this, uh, was this one, the scariest thing you've ever seen as a child? And two, um, is that why you decided to choose this scene uh, for for the episode? Oh, well, yeah. So uh, you talk about seminal moments in people's lives. um, And I can vividly remember being about three or four, far too young to be watching this film. Um, But... (laughs) being sat on the edge of my mum's bed um, and Jaws was on TV because I've heard in previous episodes people saying, oh, it's always on TV, and it is. <laughs> um, and I remember watching this scene um, w- without any of the context of what this film is because you don't at that age, and visibly and physically um, being traumatised immediately by the, uh, <laughs> the build-up and attack. Uh, mm. Such to the point now that I am heartily terrified of sharks and the open water, um, but simultaneously obsessed. Um, so yeah, it, it's had some somewhat of an impact on my life, you could say. <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I feel like everyone has that. They everyone has that scene or that movie that they're too young, and it was a horrifying, traumatizing experience. But going back as an adult, you're you kind of appreciate it. I feel like every child needs that. I feel like it helps them <laughs> develop. I feel like, uh, you know, it was for me, it was uh, Poltergeist was mm. my sister did not make the best decision. And let me watch it when I was like uh, five or six and horrified. But I love that movie as an adult. So <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's, there's something, uh, something a lot more conventional about being scared of the water and of sharks than of being scared of a tv screen um sure. so I'm, I'm 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 thankful for that because uh, tv without tv that'd be a nightmare i, I can do without the sea realistically uh, yeah so. yeah definitely so this scene is uh this is part three of four in the lead up to the untimely demise of alex kittner spoilers for the 45 year old movie um <laughs> and uh so in this we see uh, one of the best uh, side characters of all time, uh, Bad Hat Harry, enters the scene. And he comes up to, 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 to Brody, and he makes fun of him for not going in the water, which, yeah. um, <laughs> sure. And then uh, Brody says that it's some Bad Hat Harry, and Harry gets extremely offended and walks away. Uh, and then we also see... The kids going into the water, the mass of, uh, of kids that we talked about last week, they're in the water splashing around. 
Um, and then Ellen tries to comfort Brody and she tells him that he's uptight and like maybe he needs to chill out and relax a little bit. Um, and then we see, and that's where we're ending the scene because Sarah uh, doesn't like us. <laughs> I'm um, so sorry. Yeah, this was, I think maybe we said this in previous episodes as well, that some of the scenes are particularly hard to cut off, but I was annoyed at myself today to the point where I carried on watching. <laughs> I can only apologize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've seen I've seen what happens uh in this scene. Not that we'll spoil it, like you said. Five, Mark. That's what we're going Oh for, yeah, right? thank you. We're so the timestamp this week. Yeah. Liam's a better co-host than I am this week. Uh, <laughs> the timestamp this week is fifteen minutes fifty-five seconds till sixteen minutes fifty-five seconds. So it's actually this is our second exactly one-minute episode. So uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll go from that point. And for me. That's the kids, a big group of kids are just going out into the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex is already a lot further out than they are. Um, he's wearing his distinctive red trunks and he's on his yellow lilo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for American viewers, I heard you guys say it was a, a water bed. Uh, uh-huh. we, I think we just call him a floaty. <laughs> a float. A flo- <laughs> that, that means something very different in England. Um, oh. <laughs> but that's not for this podcast. Um <laughs> Yeah, so um, he's there. He's laying on the on the lilo. The kids are coming out to him. Uh, I think the first thing I noticed with this is it kind of harks back to a point um, that one of your other guests made um, about the the poster kind of recreating what happens in the attack with Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's laying there almost perpendicular to the camera um, across the surface of the water, kind of in the same way that Chrissy is lying across the surface of the water on the poster and and kind of does in that first attack. And whether like it's intentional or not, it does kind of feel like it's life imitating art a little bit. Mm. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of parallels I noticed in this between, obviously this is the second attack we're seeing and the attack on Chrissy is the only one we've seen. And you're right in terms of... Um, well, certainly in the, in the poster, we see Chrissy as sort of like lying across the water, quite similarly to how Alex is on this um, this lilo thing. And also the fact as well that the shark seems to pick out the person who who is alone. So it's quite noticeable when Brody is talking to Harry that you can see the kids out in the ocean and the angles aren't always that easy to kind of gauge how close the other group of kids is to Alex. But in that moment, Alex is quite far out from the rest of the kids and doesn't seem to be like playing around and splashing around with them. He's kind of on his own. And then when you have that shot where we're back in the shark perspective and it's underwater, the shark like swims past all those other kids and goes to the one that's by themselves. And that is chilling. (laughs) <laughs> to say the yeah. least and obviously a lot like the attack on on Chrissy it's the shark goes after the kind of the lone swimmer the one who is away from the pack yeah I think that bit kind of the omniscience that were granted in this scene and as a viewer of this film it kind of like him being alone from the pack kind of has the young wildebeest as he branches away from the pack and there's a lion on the hunt like mm. we, we no, he shouldn't be doing that, and yet he continues to. Yeah, we see that a lot in the movie, though. Like, Chrissy is obviously by herself in the water, sans Tom. And then even the scene we talked about with um, 
uh, Larry and Brody on the ferry, mm -hmm. he separates him from the pack. So that's a recurring motif of like people who are manipulating or being manipulated, uh, whether by the shark or by uh, other people, um, to separate them from the pack. I mean, even, you know, we had talked about Tom being sort of a predator prey situation at the beginning. He separates Chrissy from the rest of the, uh, the party and she's sitting off by herself. Mm. Um, when we see that she's not with the, the group either. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that was a good point. I think, yeah, the, the separate, I'm not realized a bit about the, the separation of Tom and Chrissy at the start. Um, but that, that's definitely an interesting take. Yeah. And, um, another recurring thing we get in this scene as well, there was a lot of it in the previous scene. And we talked about those natural wipes in the editing mm -hmm. where the people kind of pass in front of the camera and we see a lot of yellow and we get that again in this scene. Um, it was only on this watch that I noticed that Harry's towel is yellow. So we're still really getting that kind of recurring color. I, MJ, can you remember exactly what it is about the yellow? I realize we talk about it most weeks, but maybe we haven't sort of brought it up about the why it's significant. So it's based on some US Navy research that they did to see kind of what sharks can oh, see yeah. or or how they they react to certain colors and it seemed like obviously we can't super duper tell what kind of color spectrum they mm -hmm. um can see but it seemed like they responded the most to the color yellow so yeah so to go back to the point i was making at the start that this uh, led me to being obsessed with sharks <laughs> i have dozens of shark books at home uh, mm -hmm. and in one of these kind of um encyclopedic summaries of sharks uh, they, they go into details about those studies and how they undertook them was they had numerous mannequins with different patterns and different colors um to and left them in the water kind of floating on the surface how you normally see uh, seals floating because that 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 is a conception that's the, the idea that the reason sharks attack is because they they kind of look like a seal on the surface um yeah so yeah they, they covered them in different patterns and colors and textures to see which one um was bitten and which one wasn't bitten um, I wouldn't say it's sound scientific evidence, though. <laughs> <laughs> it seems it could be a lot of variables that might have, a, have an effect on whether a shark might bite something or not, kind of greater than the colour. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to go back to the point about the yellow and the red, um, we've, got, we've got these two really significant colours in this scene um, that have, up to this point, been used separately. And then we've got them together. So we've got this double whammy. So you know mm. things aren't going to be good for Alex. Yeah, I think yellow too is also it's a it's a warning color. So it's like a sign. You know, m most things that want you to be cautious, they're yellow. They're mm. they're attention getting, and so yeah. I think it's almost a signal to the viewer of like, hey, uh, the, watch out. You know, it's it's the subliminal. <laughs> if you watch it once, it's the subliminal thing. If you watch it and then start a minute by minute breakdown podcast of it, it becomes <laughs> less subliminal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's actually funny. Uh, I did the, I did Jaws coincidentally for film studies in my English class, mm. and it was the first thing my English teacher ever said with this scene was look at the use of the color yellow. And at mm. the time, I thought it was the most insightful thing I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> like this woman was on another level. Like how has she seen? <laughs> how has she seen that? You know, 
It's funny because I've, you know, I've watched movies my whole adult life and this is my second film podcast, but I, as someone who's taking film studies classes right now, it I can definitely notice a huge difference in mm. my ability to notice things like that in a movie. And I've only been at it for 16 weeks and it's it's huge. I watched um Knives Out on Thanksgiving and I noticed so many different things that happen in that movie visually <laughs> that it made me want to see it again. It was my second time seeing the movie and it made me want to watch the movie again within a couple days because yeah. I was noticing so much visual stuff that was going on in the movie. Mm. And I think Jaws is similar in that way in that I think it's a very accessible movie. There's, I think we've talked a lot. We, you know, We're obviously doing a deep dive in the movie and um, I think it's ripe for that, but I think it's also very accessible. I think you can explain that to people and they can watch it and understand it. It's not, you know, an art house movie. It's not like yeah. we're we're digging out all the art references in like a, like a Terrence Malick or a Werner Herzog <laughs> movie or something. Like it's very, I don't want to say surface level because I think that's doing it a disservice, but it's very accessible. Like you can explain it to people and then show them a clip from basically any part of the movie and then after they watch it, they'll go, oh, I completely saw what you were talking about when we were talking about the ways to analyze this movie. Mm. I'd love Werner Herzog to do Jaws, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> if ever they had to remake Jaws, Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog version. Werner Herzog as Brody. I believe <laughs> Werner Herzog you are going to need a bigger boat. It's <laughs> <As> Quint. <laughs> I could just imagine how long the Indianapolis uh, speech would take if it was Werner Herzog doing it. It would be three hours long. <laughs> it takes him 15 minutes to talk to uh, Hooper about the, the cage going in the water and you going in the cage going in the water. For oh 2,000, you can have the whole Wait, well, that's French. That's French. I've lost it. <laughs> that was a uh, top-notch uh, Werner Herzog impression there. Um, yeah, I think that sorry, just uh, reining it back. Um, that the this scene, what I'm like quickly realizing is that this scene is so frequently used as a study. So it's interesting mm. that obviously you're both sort of talking about that it's brought up in like film studies classes. And I a small confession to make: I actually watched the. 15 minutes and 55 seconds leading up to this point today as well just as a little treat <laughs> just as a little treat for myself um but what i really wanted to watch was so many of the things we've talked about in previous episodes this kind of predator prey dynamic the obviously we've seen an attack previously we've seen this recurring yellow motif and to a lesser extent red as well um, we've seen this kind of singling off and taking people away from a group and separating from the pack. And I knew all of that came to play in this scene as well. And also that this scene is kind of the return of the score as well. I believe this is the first mm -hmm. time we hear that kind of Jaws score since the beginning. So I wanted to see all of those things working together and kind of building up to this point. And just from the moment, I think, just from the the start of this this scene when we sort of first see Alex on the beach the the way this scene progresses is just an absolute masterclass in building tension and 
using all of those things together to the point where yes it was impossible to turn off this clip when it got to 16 minutes and 55 seconds because that moment where the shark kind of turns and starts like zoning in on Alex it's so good from that point, <laughs> from that point on um and we we get to save that for next week but it just feels like not just kind of the culmination of everything we've seen building up in this scene but the culmination of everything we've seen in the film so far and we're like 15 minutes in and there's so much good stuff to come and I was just in complete awe of this scene all over again and I love this film obviously (laughs) more than anything but this scene has just made me appreciate absolutely everything all those tiny details um you know picking out this yellow towel and why that's now significant when it seems like something so insignificant I mean this film is just a absolute masterclass yeah one of the details that uh that is sort of repeating that i noticed um that we we've talked about it a handful of times but the the not just the absence of music but the volume of the ocean Mm. it seems louder than when we talked about how loud it was before (laughs) in this scene with the kids flashing around in the waves it was deafening when i watched this scene um and there's no music when the kids are in the water. There's a little bit of diegetic music when Brody's on the beach coming from the radio. Um, but then every time it cuts back to the kids, it's just them splashing and their chatter in the ocean. Yeah. But the ocean sound itself is so loud. Mm. And it's it's like, it's scary. It's, it, 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 it's really unnerving. I have this, you know, maybe this is audio engineer brain, but... I have a real sensitivity to super loud um, noises like that if the highs are kind of turned up, which it sounds like it is. Um, So, for example, like Dunkirk was a really loud movie. Mm. And I I left and it actually made me like the movie more. But when I saw it in IMAX, I came out and I had a headache and I was in a bad mood because it was so loud. Mm. And I was like, I mean... I feel like that's a fraction of what someone at war feels like when they're having to deal with that. Um, so it, it, to me, it was like, oh, that makes it more immersive. But in this here, I was like, this is loud. It hurts my ears listening to this on my headphones. And uh, I think that's a really great sound design choice because I think it illustrates like the overwhelming nature of the ocean, right? Mm. Like Liam, I'm sure you you definitely vibe with that. Where uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still on the beach and I'm hearing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, just the, the, the like the powerful force of nature it is, and how kind of unstoppable that's going to be for just about anyone. Uh, yeah, so the, on on the kids going into the water, um, because I've watched this scene in isolation today, you do forget that the whole three four minutes before this is building up the tension um, as Brody gets more and more irate, um, and then it's kind of culminates at this point with the kids going into the water, and it just it kind of gives you this feeling of claustrophobia, mm-hmm. you know, that you know something is coming, and yet you are surrounded by like you said, this really loud sound of the kids playing in the water. Um, and you don't want to see that. You want to be looking out to the water to see what's behind. Yet all you're faced with on screen and in your ears is the sound and sight of these children playing. Mm. Yeah, I am. Um, I noticed. Uh, well, the thing I wrote down in my notes is like 
like god damn these kids are loud like they, the way they're like <laughs> screaming and splashing around in the sea as well is actually pretty good foreshadowing as well because they are screaming and splashing around because they're having fun and they're enjoying themselves but we are mere seconds away at this point from a a, a child you know screaming and thrashing around the water in a completely different set of circumstances which is kind of horrible to think about but it's that kind of um contrast is just really cleverly done and yeah i was watching this on on my big headphones as well so it was so loud the splashing and the the sound of the ocean at that point and even louder than it had been in the previous scene and and like you said mj that was something that we we picked up on in the previous scene as well like just how loud it is and i i don't know if i was seeing things but i spotted something in this scene that i've never seen before and it might just be my eyes playing tricks on me so bear with me but um right at the start of the scene when we kind of see alex out in the distance and the kids are jumping into the ocean there is a splash in the distance behind alex um, and there is no one out there. It's just kind of like a break in the a break in the surface of the water, and then you see a bird like fly away from that spot. And I'm not saying that that was necessarily the shark, but it it was something that I had not spotted before. And I think you have to be looking like really, really, really closely to spot something like that. But just interesting, I thought that there is this you know, sense of the disturbance in the water as both sort of being created by the kids as they're flinging themselves into the water and also potentially something kind of lurking in the distance behind Alex as well, which is pretty sinister. I love the idea that Spielberg has complete control of the animal (laughs) kingdom and can send a bird at will. Right. Just just to illustrate a fact that the the, the shark is there. I'll take that. I'll believe it. (laughs) Thank you. I I do think it is that bird. I just, I have the clip pulled up and I went back and it's like right around like 16 minutes Mm -hmm. if you want to watch at home, but it definitely happens. You're, you didn't see something. Thank you. It's definitely (laughs) true. It's uh. I think it might just be the bird might have dove down to try and grab something out of the water. Yeah. But you don't see the bird until after the splash. Mm-hmm. So I'll go with it. It's either that or the Cloverfield monster. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just pops up in another universe. and. Uh... <laughs> that, that's, it. That's, the, that's the expanded universe we're asking for. Cloverfield and Jaws. <laughs> yeah, Move over sure. It's our next crossover after the uh, Jaws musical. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, if we have, uh, you know, like Sharktopus versus Mega, whatever. <laughs> Cloverfield monster versus Bruce. Bruce. Bruce, Bruce versus Cloverfield monster. I'm, I'm here for it and I would watch it. <laughs> um, well, I've watched worse. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, very right. true. I'm... I saw cats. I have no shame. Like... <laughs> that was me about to throw in like Birdemic or something and you went straight for cats. <laughs> Oh boy. Um I think uh we need to talk about the the best character in this scene. Our our, yes, our favorite, the best side character there is, I will boldly state, um which is of course Harry and I really love his and Brody's exchange. It's just it's very brief, but it tells you so much as well and he has this really cheeky grin on his face as well when he's like we know all about you chief, you don't go in the water at all, do you? So this is the first time as well, I believe, that we find out that Brody has a fear of of the water. So that is incredibly mm-hmm. significant. 
and explains even more so why he is really on edge in this scene but also shows that the the people in this town they perhaps are kind of openly mocking (laughs) Brody and it's just another thing that sort of singles him out as well you know this is an island full of you know water babies they're all out there swimming sunning themselves on the beach it's an island that's what they do and the fact that Brody doesn't like the water is something that they ridicule him for and it's something again that just sort of makes him stick out amongst everyone else on the town that he's different that he doesn't like doing that um but I just love of course Brody's response where he doesn't even pick up on the thing that he said or the the shade that is being thrown at him for not liking swimming he's just like that's some bad hat harry (laughs) i love how offended harry gets about it too (laughs) it doesn't seem like it's that mean of a thing to say (laughs) but he's so upset like he's just gutted that the chief doesn't like his little swim cap I'm, do you know, I, I look at Harry, uh, I've w- obviously watched this scene a few times today, I think it's a bit like, he's kind of got a ghoulish vibe about him, <laughs> the, way he comes out of the, wa- the way he comes out of the water, you know that scene in The Shining where Jack goes into the bathroom and that woman's there, and she's a attractive woman, <laughs> and then she's actually dead, uh, that's like, every time I watch this scene, that's what it reminds me of, like, he's, he's happy and he's smiley, but he's also kind of hard to look at, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't disagree, actually. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah, like, he's, he's got his cap half off. He's, he's, he, I'm telling you, he's a ghoul of death in this. He's not... That's why he's, that's why he's not a victim, but he's got the yellow towel. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think, as well, what he says has got kind of cultish vibes to it. <laughs> it's like something out of the Wicker Man, like, oh, we talked about you <laughs> in, our, in our druid circle of amity. We, we know you don't go in the water, Chief, but we'll, we'll, ma- we'll make you. <laughs> yeah the way he's like we know all about you chief it's like it's quite sinister (laughs) is this where we get to compare it to hot fuzz again yes it absolutely is i was gonna say hot hot fuzz i mean i went with a wicker man because we're on a on a film podcast but i'm absolutely going here with hot fuzz it's not the first time uh sarah compared this movie to hot fuzz almost immediately yeah in like the first Um, episode i feel (laughs) yeah where it's that kind of like you're not from round here bit league of gentlemen local place for local people sort of vibes as well and yeah actually i imagine that harry is the leader of kind of this sinister islanders cult where they just (laughs) where everyone who is not an islander they just kind of like gang up on they pick out their weakness they approach them in a moment of vulnerability and openly mock them just to get just to get under his skin you know it's like the first the first seed has been planted and he's ready to make his next move after this we did bad hat harry more justice than brian singer did so (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) his um yeah and we've not we've not made a production company out of it we're just rinsing (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah i do um i do love his reaction as he walks away as he sort of like basically like huffs and puffs like in his face he's just he's he's having none of it so his uh he's very pantomime yeah it's very over the top yeah (laughs) his uh his attempts uh attack attempts have been thwarted this time but he will rise up stronger than ever before for his uh for his next attack as we know 
<laughs> Next unsuspecting. Yeah, victim. exactly. Um, yeah, I, I want. Is that for the greater good? Is that what they say in? Yeah, the uh, greater good. <laughs> <laughs> the greater good. With their little hoods up. In, in a Bristol accent. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I don't know if you guys had anything else that you sort of picked up on in this scene or anything else that you wanted to mention? I think as well, um, it's something that's, what's Mr. The, the, pre, the guy, Mr. Mr. Taft. What's his name? Mr. Taft, yeah. It's kind of the same scene as this, mm. but the, the perspective is a little bit di- different. But it's that kind of, uh, the inverse of uh, another Spielberg duel and kind of inverse of... North by Northwest with a crop duster scene, mm. and that you are looking for something to be happening behind this. You are desperate for something to see something, but nothing is happening. Mm. Um, as you're watching him speak to Bad Hat Harry, you know, you're not watching either of them really. You're watching at that small sliver of 30% of the screen looking for something, mm. um, which I thought, you know, it works so well. Yeah, um, I think that is that the tension building is what we keep coming back to in this. and. I've been watching a lot more, uh, not Spielberg, uh, Hitchcock stuff. Um, I had some blind spots that uh, I hadn't seen before. And so because of my classes, I've been watching a lot more of Hitchcock stuff. And it's really interesting to see how Hitchcock laid kind of the foundation of this stuff. And then guys like Spielberg just took it and ran with Mm -hmm. it to um degrees although uh it's uh didn't hitchcock hate jaws that sounds like something uh... he'd do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think he like he he did a voiceover hitchcock jaws <laughs> yeah he did a voiceover for the jaws ride um <laughs> what a, that's what a piece of knowledge <laughs> wow <sighs> Um, yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah, some guy, like, so Spielberg was, like, Spielberg got his start sneaking into Universal Studios and hanging around Hitchcock's sets. Um, and so he, uh, he tried to meet him a few times, and one, he was just hanging, one said that he tried to, he said, isn't that the boy who made the fish movie? I could never sit down and talk to him. Because I look at him and I feel like such a whore. And he said, why do you feel Spielberg makes you a whore? And he said, because I'm the voice of the Jaws ride at Universal Studios theme park. They paid me a million dollars and I took it and I did it. I'm such a whore. I can't sit down and talk to the boy who did the fish movie. I couldn't even touch his hand. (laughs) Wow, that... That's that's a real existential crisis, isn't it? (laughs) Savagery. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... The thing about Hitchcock is that guy kind of sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's all these awards on Spielberg's uh, shelf, but nothing can replace the love that he never had from Alfred. (laughs) (laughs) He just strokes a picture of him every day, like, oh, Alfred... Also, Spielberg had, I'm sure, virtually nothing to do with the ride at Universal Studios. Mm. <laughs> I don't like, yeah. And Hitchcock should have known that. Like, how? 
how involved do you think Hitchcock <laughs> was in getting the Psycho House up at Universal Studios? I bet zero percent. Mm -hmm. Like, of all people, Alfred fucking Hitchcock should know <laughs> that, that the directors are not even kind of in charge of what happens when a studio owns the rights to your product. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. <laughs> poor, poor Stephen. I feel bad for him now. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's not worried about little old Liam. So I'll, I'll kiss you. <laughs> but we, um, we get, I mean, in the, we'll talk about it plenty next week, but we get the, what is kind of like famously the thing that Spielberg got from Hitchcock, which was mm -hmm. the dolly zoom shot. And um, we'll talk plenty about that, I'm sure. But um, it's, it's, it's clear to see in, in this scene and, if you go to the start of this scene as i did today because i could not resist um that spielberg's way of building up that tension is so something that hitchcock did and i mean that story is is very funny but it's <laughs> it's clear that spielberg he knows how to make a film i feel like that is obviously something everyone knows but i don't know if he is necessarily given enough credit for how effectively stuff like this you know how it all happens i mean i know he is you know much awarded and everyone knows he is a great director but when you actually get into the detail that we're getting into and picking it apart like this it's just incredible how much is in this scene which to the untrained eye is just this fairly innocuous scene of people hanging out on a beach but yeah. we're what three out of four episodes into <laughs> talking about this just this moment um, I do. I think actually, this is. I did look ahead into the rest of our episodes. I think this is the the longest in terms of episode spans that we spend talking about a particular thing. So mm. we spend more time talking about this, the build up and and death of Alex Kittner, than you do even on the Indianapolis speech, which is kind of the famous thing that takes up mm. like a big chunk of the film. So this scene is incredibly significant in so many ways and. There is just so much packed into this, into this one moment, and I just, uh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I think um, there's a couple things at play here. I think it's one, it feels very claustrophobic, like you said, Liam, mm. which is weird because it's a wide open space, but it feels like, um, it kind of reminds me of like Rear Window where it's all mm -hmm. taking place in this one space and we keep flashing back to like Brody's perspective of what's happening versus an outside perspective of it. But it's all kind of taking place in and around Brody's immediate lawn chair area. Mm -hmm. And it feels very similar to how Rear Window takes place entirely in the apartment um, and just kind of the perspective from that, that window. Um, but it also, I think, shows something that happens throughout Spielberg's career is he and he obviously as he gets older and more experienced and has bigger budgets and um does things he has this really good knack for scenes with lots of moving parts like almost these rube goldberg machines of cinema where it's like one thing leads to another and they all seem kind of disparate and then they kind of come together i it kind of reminds me of um this obviously a more dramatic and tension-filled version of um the minecart chase in temple of doom where there's a <laughs> lot going on mm. and there's like he's keeping track of a lot of stuff 
and it all kind of comes to the head with them escaping the 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 temple of doom um but it's also one of the reasons i can't fully hate that movie i know people don't like it but <laughs> i think there's really good it's it's pretty racist and pretty misogynistic but there's some really good set pieces in that movie uh <laughs> and uh but i think this i think we see the beginnings of that here like it's obviously not as intricate as a minecart chase sequence through a you know collapsing temple but it's I mean, how many minutes is this scene? Four or five? Mm. And uh, it's it's just this five-minute rubber band pull mm-hmm. until it snaps next week, right? It's And it's just, you you think it's not, you, you, you know, as it goes on, you're just like, this has got to be it. This has got to be it. This has got to be it. And then it keeps going more and more and more and until it erupts in violence. Yeah, Alex Kittner's um, on the end of that rubber band, um, just awaiting his fate. Uh, yeah, I've, there's something that I've just written down here because I listened to you, the last podcast, Sarah, mm. and you were talking about Pippet. Yeah. And the fate of Pippet. Yeah. Um, My theory that he's alive and well. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm disagreeing with your theory. Oh. Uh, Pippet, Pippet's long no. gone. He's fish food. <laughs> he's fish food. Because. <laughs> He's he's a. I worked out he's the first off-screen death that we have in this yep. film, and what better way to ease people into off-screen deaths than killing an animal um, <laughs> before before you kill all, before you kill the fisherman? Um, oh. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how that makes you feel. If you want to take a second, that's yep. fine. Um, uh, yeah, just need a minute. <laughs> I do, just need a minute. I will say, I will say too. I think. Uh, if you're gonna kill a kid in a movie, you probably don't care that much about a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've really hit you've really hit the double whammy when you're killing a kid and a dog in the same yeah. scene. Yeah, same scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hate you both. What a savage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Okay, here's the thing: when I was <laughs> writing my notes and watching this scene many, many times, I did feel that sinking feeling in my heart, which our beloved Pippet is now chasing sticks in the sky rather than happily <laughs> on a beach where I wanted him to be. Um, I do really like and appreciate the edit that goes from sort of seeing the lone stick floating out in the ocean to then taking us straight away underwater where we get the score returning as well. And it's mm-hmm. that that's why it was so frustrating to stop it like a few seconds later, because it was just like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, you know, it's coming. You that just see it. You, we don't need to see this poor beloved pooch's ravaged body in the ocean to know what has happened to him. We've seen yeah. we see the stick and there is no dog and the owner is desperately calling out for him. And then it sort of takes us straight away. We're back as the shark cutting through the water we see all the legs kicking around and we're ready for we're ready for our noon feeding by this point um yeah i i r.i.p pippa <laughs> it it really kind of adds to the the menace and how insidious at this point the creature is mm. um because you you have something so big and so villainous that it, it's killing stuff off screen never mind on screen mm. um it really kind of adds to the mystique of it, I think. Yeah, I think it also shows, you know, um, oh gosh, who has the line about, is it Quint or Hooper that talks about like the the only thing the shark knows is like eating. That's Hooper. Like, it's just, yeah. Mm. 
and like that's the only thing it's concerned with like it doesn't care if it's a person it doesn't care if and you know i think if you've done research on shark stuff you when we talked about this previously but it shark attacks on humans don't happen that often mm. compared to how often people are in the water <laughs> um but it, you know so it's always it's always headline news when it does happen it actually happens kind of a lot at this beach called avila beach which is like two hours away from me and um i don't go in the ocean a lot as is <laughs> but i won't go in the ocean at avila if i if i'm going to avila i'm strictly going to eat clam chowder and shop um, <laughs> and that's that's it mm. and yeah. look at the otters from afar i am not it's there's been in my lifetime, there have been like five or six shark attacks in Avila Beach. Oh, wow. And I'm like, that's too many. That's too many <laughs> shark attacks at one beach. I, uh, I recently went to Australia um, and everyone I went with uh, had a really good time in the water. Um, and I did had a really good time looking after this stuff <laughs> on land. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the other place where shark attacks happen. It's either like the only two places I can think of shark attacks happening or Avila Beach and somewhere in Australia. <laughs> the shark is very I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep staying away from both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't go in the water. <laughs> Jaws was right. Well, it's a bit like Jaws. It's like Jaws 4, the, the revenge, you know. It's after me, except I'm not Ellen Brody. <laughs> <laughs> it does, weirdly, talking of Jaws the revenge, this this scene did like does make it feel like this shark really has like a personal vendetta against Alex Kintner because there are some like you know chicken drumsticks hanging down for this shark to have with all these kids legs kicking in the water but that shark goes straight for Alex like he knows what he's looking for <laughs> it's quite terrifying it, it's, you get it sort of even more in the next scene as you sort of like the pace of the shark quickens and the intensity of the music increases as well and we see him sort of like hone in on alex but i don't know what is what did this kid do to uh to this shark to make him hate him so much maybe in like a really meta way the shark is like i see that yellow lilo and i see his red shorts i recognize the symbolism here that's the kid i'm gonna eat <laughs> what spielberg mm -hmm. wants and he's going listen I'm going to be your character. I'm going to be your shark. Yeah, I'm going to go eat that little kid. Yeah, I've heard the rumour in Hollywood was the two hardest actors to work with were Marlon Brando and the shark from Jaws. <laughs> Weirdly enough, it's because they both wouldn't stop eating crew members. <laughs> um, allegedly. <laughs> Just in case someone sues us. <laughs> My apologies to the brand of Yeah, that's how this podcast ends, with us being sued by the estate of Marlon <laughs> What a way to go. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work. I've, I've seen Superman. Um. I've seen The Island of Dr. Moreau, Ooh. which honestly reinforces my accusation, but... Mm, mm. <laughs> okay, have... <laughs> Before this descends into complete insanity, which is too late for by this point, and I'm very happy about it. Um, do we have anything else uh, in this scene, or are we think we've we've uh, dug into as much as we can? <laughs> um, I think I have one last thing to say, which is okay. um, I like the part where we see uh, uh, Brody's youngest son, which uh, what's his name? Sean. Sean? Yeah. Sean? Yeah. Yeah, 
um sean playing on the beach singing a song to himself because i think it follows in this great tradition of like creepy kid songs in in horror movies <laughs> and it's not as scary as like i don't know because i feel like like um like the nightmare on elm street series has like the whole rhyme about freddy mm. um and that's pretty on the nose and they made it up for the movie but i think there's a great tradition of like lullabies being terrifying mm -hmm. in horror movies and in this one we kind of see it and it works but it's sort of not in the same context because usually it's in a haunted house right where there's a creepy dead kid who's haunting the place or whatever mm -hmm. um or the kids are singing the song as they go through the haunted house and then they get the first encounter with the ghost in this he's just playing on the beach like a kid would and it's the middle of the day but it's still just as scary as kids exploring a haunted house because we can feel we've we've been feeling this underlying tension for four minutes and so uh now we see this kid kind of completely oblivious and it's just like oh you child <laughs> you know and and I, I think also the implication of like it draws an implication of like an innocence of childhood that you know we haven't really gotten to know alex kittner that well and we we don't know sean like super well but we know he's related to brody mm -hmm. so it, it kind of reinforces like this could have been anyone's kid mm -hmm. you know it, it could have just as easily been one of brody's sons yeah and it's funny it, it's you know you mentioned poltergeist as being one that scared you mm -hmm. um mj i'm fairly sure there's kids and nursery rhymes in that or mm -hmm. uh, Oh well, it's definitely in The Shining, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. Again, the the use of children, kind of. In this case, Sean's meant to be very innocent, but even though he is innocent, the, the singing of the the nursery rhyme is incredibly off-putting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's as well like it's contrasting that, you know, picture idyllic picture of childhood innocence where you've got this kid like merrily singing a nursery rhyme to himself whilst he's building a little sandcastle and like i said earlier you know we're within seconds of this other you know innocent kid having his life snatched away from him in a pretty spectacular way so it's yeah chilling in many ways this scene and i think that that moment is yeah particularly so i'd not really thought about that with that sort of um connection with other horror films with kids sort of singing and that that is just inherently creepy i don't think it was the yeah. intention to make that kid be creepy in that moment because he's he's kind of sweet and he's just having a good time on the beach. But yeah, with what follows, I think it makes it a bit more sinister. Yeah. Yep. De uh, definitely playing into that folk horror trope mm, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I think... We, I, so I edited this part out of last week's podcast because I felt like it was better suited here. Um, and I don't, I once again, don't want to revisit it too much uh, uh, because we have some other fantastic side characters mm -hmm. to get to. But I really think we need a bonus episode just about all the side characters mm -hmm. in this movie. I would love that. Just the weirdest shit imaginable. <laughs> like, who, who does that? You know, like, even like we yeah there's there's so many like weird quirky side people i mean our theme song's about one of them mm -hmm. but uh <laughs> you know there's so many little moments like that that are so weird and funny but it feels almost like extremely relatable mm -hmm. too because i feel like there are people who do weird stuff everywhere and 
we just kind of take it for granted. Like, I, I mean, like I was talking about with Mr. Taft, like every every friend group has that dad mm-hmm. or your dad was that <laughs> guy in the friend group. And I feel like, I feel like Bad Hat Harry is like one of these old men who like is kind of trying to get to know you, but just insults you instead. <laughs> I feel like that happens a lot where it's like, I'm going to go be an old man to this person. And it's just like, here's an incredibly insulting thing I know about you. It's, it's like, it's like right? someone, someone coming up to you at the gym and trying to give you advice, but then inadvertently telling you that you look terrible. <laughs> uh, like, like someone's just trying to be nice, but he's gone about it all wrong. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Harry and his bad hat. We love him so. <laughs> Liam, thanks for being here, man. This was awesome. Yeah, I had a really good time. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Do you have any projects you're working on or where people can follow you if they're they're interested? No, no, I think uh, my Twitter handle's in there. I think just the closing comment on the, this scene would probably be about just how hunky Chief Brody looks. Because... <laughs> um, because he he is looking great in this scene it's a shame it's so stressful for him mm-hmm. um, but yeah no n- nothing nothing to plug from me <laughs> Rory Scheider is he's got this wonderful quality of um that I think like Bruce Campbell has too mm-hmm. where particularly when they're younger I think they're both really handsome but they're not like leading man handsome mm-hmm. yeah and it works in their advantage mm-hmm. um where like if you saw, I feel like if you saw Roy Schreiter on the street, you'd be like, "That's a good-looking guy, mm-hmm. for sure." Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't look, you know, like a traditional leading man. Like that's the great thing about these '70s movies, right? Is they're definitely handsome people. It, in Marathon Man, he is jacked in that movie. <laughs> he's, he's his arms are massive in that movie. Mm. Um, and there's, I think he's shirtless in that movie too. And I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> Shire's got like a six pack. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just uh, going on my Amazon to download that in HD. <laughs> One second. <laughs> uh, we watched uh, we watched Sorcerer the other night, which has got Roy Shire. What a film! Um, and what a film! Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With, <laughs> Sorry, you haven't with, seen with, it. With, with a bit of stubble as well, he is mm. killing it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, I've uh, I've gone a bit off off piece, a bit tangent there, but no. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. I will say it was very funny. So I'm I'm logged into the Let's Jaws for a minute Twitter, but I don't handle it that much. Um, Liam, I don't think I knew your name until just before we started recording because I just kept, we just kept getting DMs from Big Chungus, and I was like, all right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a personal joke, but yeah, uh, sure. that 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 isn't my Christian name. Um, <laughs> oh darn! <laughs> Damn my parents! <laughs> if only they would have thought ahead. Um, go ahead. We are one. Thank you guys so much for listening. I think we're going to continue releasing episodes, obviously. But we are we taking the week of Christmas off? Is that... Yes. Yeah. Okay. So just so you guys know, there will not be... Uh, Christmas is on a Friday. Um, so we will not be having an episode that week. But I think that's the only week we're skipping. Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, keep that in mind. If you don't see anything on Christmas Day, that is by design. <laughs> it uh, will uh, resume the following week. So uh, yeah, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> just putting that out there now. 
Um, in the lead up to Christmas, uh, we are doing, uh, not related to the holiday really at all, I suppose, but we, we're doing um, a contest for um, shark arrests and uh, any fan art that you want to provide us of the logistics of taking a shark into custody. And it, it is open to any media type. We have received a sculpture um, made of clay. We have received fan art that has been drawn digitally and by hand, um, or traditionally, I should say. The digital art was probably drawn by hand as well. Um, but yeah, anything you guys want to do, we've mentioned interpretive dance. <laughs> I said start a, I said start a podcast about it. Um, write a song. Any 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 art you want to do about the logistics of taking a shark into police custody, which is a very specific thing and harkens back to our first or second episode um <laughs> and it has become kind of a meme although we have put the shark in some very strange situations <laughs> over the, he's been a tourist wearing a, a hawaiian shirt most recently he was a method actor um <laughs> so uh yeah the, continue let's just continue that thread but anything you want to do about arresting a shark uh friday december 18th is the deadline for that and you can win a mug and a t-shirt and maybe other stuff is there still maybe other stuff or not? there's potentially um i'm, but, I'm buttering okay. up red bubble as we speak <laughs> okay um uh, mj can i come in with uh, I've, I've realized i've got a shout out for someone is that all right yes yeah um Werner herzog if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast <laughs> um we are looking for a leading man slash director um so my Twitter handle is at LiamJune5. Would really like to hear from you. Uh, I don't know if you're busy at the moment, but yeah, if you'd like to get in touch, that'd be be great. (laughs) Yeah, Werner, if if you want to reach out from the set of The Mandalorian, by all means. Yeah. (laughs) I just picture... I just pictured Werner Herzog just sitting off to the side in the Mandal- on the Mandal- on the side of the Mandalorian with like AirPods in, sitting next to Baby Yoda, and it was a delightful mental image. <laughs> just like he's just talking to Baby Yoda, and he's like, "Have you heard this podcast?" <laughs> yeah, Cal yeah, Weathers then leans across and goes, "What are you guys talking about? Can I get?" <laughs> Oh man! Someone make that happen. If we have any listeners who are involved with the Mandalorian whatsoever, get this podcast into Dragon Carl Weathers' hands. Get into their hands and into their ears because we yes. want them. We want them to hear it because we want to be in their hearts. Because um, they're in ours. They, yes, they, they better believe it. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Jaws for a minute. This is one hell of an episode, you guys. We are at Jaws for a minute on uh, Twitter. I am at MJ Smith eight nine one. Sarah is at Sarah Buttery. You can email us any feedback you have, or if you're Werner Herzog, any pitches you have for a full four version of the film Jaws. Um, Jaws for a minute at gmail.com um if you would like to buy merch it is on our redbubble store which you can find a link to in our twitter bio and uh yeah that'll be it we'll be back next week for the thrilling conclusion to the saga of alex kittner spoilers it does not end well for uh the kittner child (laughs) um yep until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere